Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that tries to spread the word about trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories including vehicle sales for July 2022, a free e-bike offer for a selected few, a new managing director at Jaguar Land Rover with a non-auto background and advancing transportation equity. In our feature stories, we have two road tests this week, which are at different ends of the spectrum. There's the BMW M240i X-Drive, a performance coupe, and the Peugeot Partner Van. You can get more information at drivenmedia.com.au. So, let's start the program with the news. Vehicle sales for July 2022 have managed to be ahead of the same time last year, but only just. A total of 84,461 vehicles were sold in July, an increase of exactly 300 vehicles on last year, or 0.4%. In year-to-date terms, the market is still behind 4.5%. The categories that showed growth in year-to-date terms compared to last year in order of their biggest growth, are medium SUVs, medium passenger cars, two-wheel drive utes, heavy commercial vehicles, large SUVs, light buses, people movers and large passenger cars. The categories that lost the most sales compared to last year are small passenger vehicles, small SUVs, four-wheel drive utes, upper large SUVs, light SUVs, medium-sized vans, light passenger cars, sports cars, micro-passenger cars and upper large passenger cars. The City of Sydney is collaborating with Transport for New South Wales and four providers to give residents in and around Green Square the opportunity to try an e-bike for free under a new active transport initiative. Up to 160 residents will be eligible for a four-week take-home trial of the bikes. Lord Mayor Clover Moore said the program was designed to encourage locals to explore alternative transport. She said that there was a 40% increase in people riding during the pandemic, and many who took to cycling during the lockdowns have continued to ride. She went on to say, Cycling is a great way of getting to and from work, with around 25 kilometres of connected paths across the city of Sydney. Our experience during COVID showed that if we create safe, connected routes, people would use them. The free e-bike scheme is open to residents over 18 who will ride the bikes for personal use only. Jaguar Land Rover has appointed Penny Ferguson as their new Managing Director for Australian Operations. Penny has only just joined Jaguar Land Rover in July from leading global luxury brands Tiffany & Co and Paspali. Martin Limbird, Regional Director Overseas, Jaguar Land Rover, commented about Ferguson's background that is not in the auto industry. Penny brings a depth of business experience going with the luxury jewellery industry. As Marketing Director and member of Tiffany & Co Leadership Team for Australia and New Zealand, Penny successfully drove the establishment and expansion of their operations in the region. With a broad experience in multi-channel luxury retail operations, and finance, customer-centric mindset, and modern leadership style. 
In February 2021, Jaguar Land Rover launched their Reimagine strategy. It reflects the times we are in. It has a focus on sustainability with a reimagining of modern luxury by design, unique customer experiences and positive societal impact. The strategy is designed to help them achieve zero tailpipe emissions by 2036 and net zero carbon emissions across supply chain products and operations by 2039. The Minnesota Department of Transportation has developed a strategy that would not have been part of city planning until recently. The program is called Advancing Transportation Equity Initiative and aims to better understand how the transport system, services and decision-making helps or hinders the lives of people in underserved and underrepresented Minnesota communities. Researchers at the University of Minnesota are conducting a literature review to understand how gender can influence travel-related behaviours. The project will use the 2019 Travel Behaviour Household Surveys and additional data in Greater Minnesota using smartphone survey apps. While the project is ongoing, there are several initial lessons, including some organisations provide buses, collect and redistribute donated cars and operate volunteer driver programs. The whole effort underscores the importance of working with local experts to develop community-specific transport solutions. Transport equity labs are effective collaborative processes to build internal staff capacity to incorporate equity into state plans, programs and policies. And finally, research projects help the department stay current with the latest transportation equity metrics and gain a deeper understanding of community needs to help develop equitable policies, programs and processes. And that has been the news. My first car was a two-door coupe. Well, a 1950s Morris Minor. It had two doors. The first Morris Minors in 1948 were two doors, probably to keep the price down. The four-door came in 1950. Now, a number of car companies, particularly the Japanese in later years, took a basic four-door sedan and fashioned a two-door derivative as an extra model, called it a sports car, but they gave a stylistic impression of trying to be something that they're not, often just a sedan with the inconvenience of no second row of doors. But what about a very hot BMW? Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys, and I have... Alan Zervis and... Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys and I have had a go of a BMW M240i X Drive. Alan, is this a genuine coupe? David, it is 100% coupe. And I tell you what, if it doesn't make you feel manly, nothing will. <laughs> it looks elegant. Some coupes look worse than the sedan, but this makes your run of the mill BMW sedan look rather ordinary. It does in the M240i. The lower models, I think, look decidedly plain. There's a, a distinct lack of ornamentation, so no chrome and no nothing blingy, no sparkle. Whereas the model we tested was in Thunder Night, which is deep metallic purple. Mm. And along with those big 19-inch wheels, uh, it was five-spoke wheels, but each spoke split into into two, it just looked up menacing and the black highlights made it look slightly evil. Did it have enough under the bonnet to make it go? 
a straight six David with twin power turbo. 285 kilowatts and 500 newton meters, I think, is enough to be going on with to get you to 100 in 4.3 seconds. So the two series BMW is not a big car, is it? Not particularly, but it does weigh 1765 kilos. It's got all-wheel drive and an eight-speed gearbox. Does that get the power to the ground adequately? It does. And the X-Drive setup that the 2 Series has favours the back wheel. So that's why it has that slightly rear-wheel drive sports car feel about it. Uh, without that kind of torque steer, you know, where you put your foot down at the lights and the back of the car slides sideways or the front of the car, if it's a front wheel drive, the wheels are trying to do their own thing. This gives you a split. And then when you need it, all four wheels are doing some gripping. We'll talk about the actual driving of it in a moment. The interior, was it up to scratch or beyond scratch, I think? Is it is it worthy of an elegant coupe? Well, if you're asking me if I liked it, then yes, I did. It just it didn't feel particularly expensive, but it does certainly feel more expensive than the next level of sports cars down say, a Golf R or something along those lines. You should be very careful about judging a car from the car you just got out of or the one that you then go and get into. After getting out of the BMW with a lovely seat and wonderful support under your thighs, I hopped into a Peugeot van, which fit for purpose wasn't bad, but it suddenly felt very bolt upright and firm. The seating of this BMW is one of its stronger points? Absolutely. They were a $2,000 extra. Those front seats have additional adjustment in the side bolsters. They've also got lumbar support, and they're heated as well. Now, there's some fairly flashy indications inside if you had left your door open and things. What was that? I love that. The inside of the car has mood lighting, and you can change the colour of it. Well, that's fairly standard in a lot of cars. But this, in addition, had panels in the doors in the M colours that were sort of pixelated. They were steady if the door was closed, but when you open them, they kind of beat like a heart. A range of options and good stuff? Well, there's a lot of stuff that's actually in it already, and I think that that's the important thing. But our particular car had two options. The metallic paint was 1700 and those seats we spoke about were 2000 so that brought the 89900 retail price up to uh, 93600 Adaptive suspension and adaptive LED headlights. That is a rather important point you particularly like, don't you? Put the system into full automatic so that when you drove home in the dark, you got that full razzle-dazzle experience as it appears to bend the light around things that are, are oncoming. So the road is lit up at all times, sometimes brighter, and if someone's coming on in front of you, they're in a pool of less bright light. It picks what the environment is and adjusts various illuminations at various parts in front of you so as to give you as much vision but not blind the other drivers. Yeah, it just turns individual cells on and off because unlike a conventional light, it's made up of multiple, let's say, bulbs, if you like, for want of a better term. Whereas your traditional high beam used to be just a single bulb with a bright element and a less bright element. Hmm. Then you had two separate bulbs. Then you went to halogens 
Then you went into LEDs, and now you've gone into these adaptive LEDs and uh, pixelated LEDs. And it gives a lot of range for car makers to even do things like project things onto the wall. So a Tesla, for example, if you park that against a wall or near a, near a garage door or whatever, the headlights project Tesla onto the garage door. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? It is certainly possible a Tesla driver might forget they're in a Tesla. I don't think. Well, maybe they might want to forget for other reasons. Alan, I've said that you have to judge a car carefully and give time to settle into it without reflecting on the car you've immediately got out of. The car I was driving just before I had a go of the BMW was a Toyota Land Cruiser 70 Series, an archaic car in many of its respects, but not the least of which was four turns lock to lock. Driving the BMW had such a sharp, minimal amount of turn that you needed and just gripped so beautifully. Not only did it grip turning into the corner, but coming out, it suddenly just, it, it would straighten up with a minimum of steering wheel input. It was like being on a roller coaster. It was a grip level that was just astounding. Well, it almost felt like a gecko on a glass window. <laughs> it was so sticky, and I don't doubt that the tyres helped. But the, the transmission, the, the gearbox, the adaptive suspension, you know, the entire chassis setup is just, it feels so sophisticated. And it's McPherson struts at the front and multi-links at the back. You know, it's, it's not something that other manufacturers don't use. It's the way that it's been tuned and the precision, I guess, it's been designed and put together. The sound of the engine, it wasn't that snap, crackle and pop that you sometimes get with certain sports cars, even luxury sports cars. It was a refined strength. I just loved it. Felt like it was made to rev, as, as many cars do, but this was the pinnacle of that experience and it just sounded so good. I think it did too, David. I think it could even have sounded a little more noisier, a little more raucous or at least an option for raucousness in a sports mode. Yeah, it is a touring car, though, isn't it? It has a great ambience about it. It doesn't have a lot of road noise to it. It has an engine sound that lets you hear and feel what gear you're in as the whole dynamics of it, but without necessarily going into the stuff that some boy racers might appreciate. I hasten to add, this is not a full M car. It's an M240i. If you want to go to a full M car, you've got to pay seventy dollars or $80,000 more for an M3. So I put it to you, how much better does that have to be than, you know, to be that much better than this? They rate the acceleration not to 104.3 seconds. Fuel consumption is 8 litres per 100 rated. I suspect that we were a little above that and others who use the vehicle might well have been well above that. I agree. Yeah, I think they were, but it's really difficult not to want to stab your foot right to the floor because it is so pleasing. And you're right about the corners. It makes you want to slow right down, then speed up and rocket through the corners. But I think at the end of the day, it is as happy, and I mentioned this in my review, it is as happy parking at the coal shops as it is out on the highway or on the, the twists and turns. And it's got fully automated 
uh, parking, which I have to say, we've, we've demonstrated a couple of those cars in the past, most notably the Genesis, where we could actually get out and it would just park itself. This wasn't quite that sophisticated, but it still required no passenger input. Though a couple of times I did touch the brake because it was getting a little too close for my comfort. But when I took my foot off the brake, it just continued on its merry way. Luxury cars really have to think very hard now about what defines luxury and extra. A number of people have defined things as gimmicks, yet I think that there are some wonderful features that make for a much calmer sense of driving, but nonetheless an enjoyable one as well. 89900 is the base price. Plus on roads, what was ours with a few extras? 93600 David. And I think we need to look at this too in the light of in the last few weeks. We've also had that Lexus convertible, the LC500, for $230,000-odd. There's no doubt that had a lot more luxury, especially inside. But I think for the price, don't get me wrong, it is still a lot of money. I would find it difficult to get better. I was surprised, actually, that in relative terms, how cheap I thought it was. As you say, it's not the full M, which can take you into the 150s or so on with a slightly bigger car. But, gee, I tell you what, I thought it was enough. I thought that it was enough to feel special, good and enjoyable driving. Well, David, what it is, is a BMW hot hatch as opposed to a BMW racing car. And I think it's all the better for it. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, as always, David. And that's Alan Service from Gay Carboys. And we were talking about the BMW M240i X-Drive, a long, rather cumbersome name, but a rather elegant, stylish and great performing, more than adequate performing car for one to enjoy in many situations. You're listening to Overdrive. Citroen is a name that conjures up images of elegant saloons from time past. It is announced that the stylish C5X is now available for advance order with the first deliveries due in the last quarter of 2022. Crossing design boundaries, the C5X has elements of sedan, coupe, SUV and wagon in its sleek lines. The model will come in one highly specified variant, including a turbocharged 1.6 litre petrol engine, producing 133 kilowatts of power paired with an 8-speed efficient automatic transmission. Citroen has a habit of producing surprisingly good and stylish cars, such as the C4 that has attracted so much attention globally. The C5X continues that philosophy with Citroen's advanced comfort program, optimising comfort and practicality along with a generous passenger compartment that affords new levels of warmth, serenity and spaciousness. The C5X was first revealed in April 2021 along with the announcement that it comes in a PHEV version as well. Citroen is really the thinking person's European brand. It offers innovation, style and grace that others such as Mercedes-Benz can only dream about at a fraction of the price. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. Although small in sales numbers, vans under 2.5 tonnes have increased their sales by 11% this year compared to last year. Now, Peugeot have recently updated their vans and we have been driving their smallest model, the Partner, but we had the Upspec Pro version and our good friend Evan Jones had a drive of it as well. Good day, Evan. Good day, David. How are you going? Good. We're talking here not about the little tiniest 
vans. I mean, other models, other makes have perhaps little smaller ones. We're talking about one, and particularly we had the long wheelbase one, which had a little bit of space to it. Yeah, actually, long wheelbase is right. At my daily is a, a small Jag, and this thing was longer than that. I couldn't get it in the garage. <laughs> but to look at it, it doesn't look large. It does, I think because it's fairly tall as well. So if you're a, a, um, a courier, heaps of room inside. This one is 4.753 millimetres, uh, metres, sorry, long. So it's, uh, as you say, it's not without its size compared to even some sedans. And, and I thought it looked pretty neat on the outside with sliding doors. The access to the interior is good. You've got sliding doors for memory both sides um, and huge rear doors. Uh, so the access to the interior is great. And I don't know if it's standard, but the non-slip material on the floor was amazing. It was remarkably non-slip. I think you, you tested that? Yes, yes. I, I put a couple of long um, cardboard containers in there uh, that I'd purchased from Bunnings. and. Um, The upside of it is I knew they couldn't move. The downside of it is I actually had to get in through the side door to be able to pull it into the truck. So so it's not a matter of just pushing it in. But once it was there, it was there. A little 1.2-litre four-cylinder petrol engine. It does come with a manual version, but only in a short wheelbase, very basic model, 81 kilowatts, and that's a six-speed manual. But uh, this one that we drove was... Uh, 96 kilowatts, 1.2 litre, uh, had an eight-speed gearbox. How did you find it as a, dro- a vehicle to drive? It handled like a car, so that was a that was a big plus, and it had heaps of torque, a lot more torque than you'd expect from uh, an engine so small at 1.2 litres. It was very easy to drive um, in traffic as far as keeping up with the traffic goes. The brakes felt good. It handled reasonably well, for a, particularly for a van. The only thing I had trouble getting used to is that uh, the side mirrors could be bigger because the the central mirror is an ornament <laughs> because the back doors are solid. Yes. I don't know why we have a central mirror there at all, apart from perhaps putting on makeup. Not only that, there was a barrier between the driver, passenger and the rear compartment, I think is good, not the least of which it stops a lot of noise. There was still a little bit of a echoey vibration to it, but was it comfortable to sit in? Yes. The seating was slightly upright, which you expect in a commercial, but it was comfortable. It had the signature Peugeot steering wheel, which I absolutely adore. But if I was going to be critical about anything, it also has the worst feature of any of the Peugeots, and that's the cruise control that you cannot see because it hides behind the steering wheel. Mm. You have to become familiar with it before you start driving. Well, that's true of most. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the only thing is you've got to put premium fuel in it. It does reach Euro 6.3 pollution standard, which is excellent and a very good idea, but, of course, that does aim us for premium fuel. Our cheapest fuel, of course, is a remarkably dirty. The The inside and the features that it's got, is it missing anything you think it should have? Yes. If I was a courier and I was going to a lot of places that I'm unfamiliar with, which is most of Sydney, I suppose, I'd like to have a navigation system inside, like you get in the most basic of cars now. This one doesn't have one. It's got the button. You press the button, it says, Use your phone. Well, well, that's a bit rude. But (laughs) I think that's a, um, a, a minus. I really do think that's a minus.
It makes you think about what really should be the fundamentals of a van like this. I, and it doesn't have, of course, is cross-traffic alert. Given that you've got the big side panels that you can't see out of, now it's got a reversing camera, desperately needed, given you haven't got an interior mirror that can actually do anything. I would think cross-traffic alert would be another feature that I would love to have, but isn't on the, even the option list. Absolutely. While you're reversing, that, uh, in that car, that's a must-have. It really is. It really is a must-have. Because you're sitting so far forward of the rear of the vehicle, yeah, there's no way you can possibly, you could properly judge what's coming on the road that you're backing out on, onto. The other thing that I think is absolutely critical is the cup holders are a bit small. Did you get to use it for what it's worth? You mentioned Bunnings. Did you try IKEA? Yeah, well, we had best of intentions of IKEA. We did go there with intentions of buying something quite sizable, which, as it turns out, after walking through that maze they call IKEA, it was out of stock. But that's another story. But so we, we did buy stuff from IKEA and threw it in there just to say, oh, look, we can use the van. But uh, again, so if I was going to buy something large, it would be a good van for that because so you've got access, big access through the sides and and access through the rear, no problem at all. So yeah, it'd be a good vehicle to to carry, no problem at all. But but you'd have to, lo- but you really need something to be able to load it in and then place it in the back. It's not a matter of sliding it in. Mm, you might be able to take that flooring out. I'm not sure. Uh, we we certainly didn't uh, try that. Twenty six thousand nine ninety plus on road costs for the base model, and it's only the short wheelbase and it's the manual. Of course, it then goes right up to the. Uh, not only we had the Pro model, but there is also a Premium, which adds a few extra features, like, I think, a leather steering wheel, which I can I don't consider too much. But nonetheless, that goes right up to 36980 That's nearly $37,000, plus on-road costs. So you'd be getting into the 40s. But it's certainly a practical vehicle that I would think would suit many a van. Now, do you know the sales figures... Generally, for these smaller vans, has gone up. But for the Peugeot's partner, last month, July 2022, the sales were up 64% compared to the previous year. Wow. But we are talking small numbers. Mm. But nonetheless, I think that perhaps they have hit a spot and perhaps got enough supply to be able to make that sort of impact in the market. Well, that's good for them, I do believe that there's a place for that van, and with a couple of minor um, additions, it'd be a good vehicle for a courier. But the things that we're missing, I think, are essential. That's just me. I think it definitely has to have a navigation system. Otherwise, you're going to have people fiddling with their phones and possibly causing an accident. And being potentially being illegal, even if you even if you mount them, I think there can be a bit of a problem in terms of accessing them. And, and ultimately, if you have that as a inbuilt system, the potential then comes for companies to send data to you, your next delivery, or there's been a change, or information, perhaps a little bit more readily. I haven't researched that far enough, but I think that's part of it. Evan, uh, great to talk to you, and thank, thanks for your support and, and uh, testing of this and we will continue looking at a range of vehicles in the future. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. And that's Evan Jones, who is a a safety expert, among other things, but a man who loves his cars and uh, is more than happy to test them out and assess them for whether they're fit for purpose. 
You're listening to Overdrive. Last week I drove the Subaru WRX TS sedan with all the extra features missing from our manual RS version we drove a few weeks ago. The TS sedan is priced from $56,990 plus the usual costs and you get a lot for that money. Starting with a turbocharged 2.4 litre horizontally opposed boxer engine, obviously it comes with Subaru's famous all-wheel drive system, sport Lineatronic transmission with electronic control dampers and drive mode select, 18-inch alloy wheels and performance tyres enhance the sports appeal and Subaru intelligent drive and eyesight safety features round out the list of TS features. The sedan has a firmer feel than the sports wagon, on purpose. It's designed for the enthusiast. It has a feel where you are connected to the car and every input is directly responded to. Find a nice, winding, hilly road and there are few cars that provide as much pleasure or fun than the WRX, especially at the price. The WRX is one of those cars that you can't judge it by figures alone. You have to drive it to get the feel, the connection to the vehicle, the pure fun of driving it. This is the Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Evan Jones and Paul Just for their great help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Listener.